The world around us is changing faster than ever before. before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome, Welcome. to Data Welcome. Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be brave, and be fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. I'm excited to welcome Andy Davidson from the Engine Group, who is the head of analytics and data strategy at Engine. Welcome, Andy. Hi, how are you? Good. Great to be on. Yeah, thank you for joining me. My pleasure. I'm looking forward to this discussion. Awesome. So before we dive into what your full-time job is, it'd be great just to get a little bit of understanding on your background and how you got to this point in your career. Sure. So uh, maybe we should start with where I am now. So I lead data analytics and data strategy at the Engine Group. Just as background, we're sort of a full-service marketing services firm. We specialize in a range of things, but sort of ranging from insights and analytics through planning, content, and distribution. So I've been here for about two years, but I spent the last 25 years or so in various assignments across research, analytics, and data science. Worked both client-side as well as on the agency side. And really, largely, my focus has been on helping advertisers and their agencies address business problems with data and analytics, whether it's been you know, helping to define new markets or understand customer needs or innovate or develop new products. Uh, spent a lot of time um, helping clients develop marketing strategies and then ultimately personalizing customer experience and then measuring those efforts and the returns that they're getting from, from those efforts. But really all sort of centered around uh, research, data, and analytics. And is this an area or field that you proactively chose or were you exposed to it early on in your career and like, hey, that's the direction I want to go in? Yes and no. I mean, I went to graduate school and earned a PhD in education, which, you know, by definition is really oriented around research and analytics. So I, you know, that's where I got started in the discipline, but my original intent was to have an academic career. And, you know, at some point uh, along the journey, decided that I wanted to get into industry. So yes, I had always planned on getting into analytics and data and research, but I had not always planned on being on the industry side of things. But, you know, I'm grateful for the opportunity and really enjoy where I am now. So should I be calling you Dr. Davidson? Please don't. (laughs) (laughs) I actually had no idea when I prepped for this. You didn't even mention it, but congratulations. That's it. Thank you. I'm very proud of it, but I don't need to be referred to as doctor. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, you were also talking about Engine and the three areas that Engine focuses on. Be great if you could just give a high level, which each of those areas are and kind of their main purpose in, in serving their clients. Sure. So we specialize, as you said, in three areas, insights and analytics, you know, planning and content and then distribution. So, you know, the way to think about that is to sort of think about the marketing ecosystem. So the insights and the analytics function supports both advertisers and agencies in making better decisions, really, when it comes down to using data and analytics, both data that we bring to the table for them in the form of research or third-party and proprietary data sources, but also their own data. And then there's planning and content, which is really about a creative and media strategy and media planning. And then there's distribution. We actually own a propri- our own proprietary 
ad exchange. We have relationships with a lot of the publisher networks, and we actually, through that capability, are able to place media programmatically for you know a lot of the market, both the agencies and the advertisers directly. And do most of your clients work through all three of those departments or is it, or divisions or does it vary? It varies. We like to think that's a differentiator for us. You know, we have mm-hmm. sort of, I think, a combination of services, particularly from a data and analytics perspective, but also from a distribution perspective that a lot of other firms in our arena don't always have. And so, you know, working with us, you get more of a seamless experience than you might with some other models that are out in the marketplace. We like to think that that's a differentiator. So- you know, we've talked about you know, inherently there's some key challenges in the ad space and and delivering ads. Can you talk a little bit of some of the, I don't know, maybe systemic might be radical or too dramatic, but some of the challenges that exist in in that area of the world? Yeah, I'd love to. And it's a big area of focus for us. So, you know, when I think about the context of your question is I think about targeting and, and audience targeting specifically. And, you know, it's pretty well known in the industry that media campaigns don't always reach who they're supposed to. Oftentimes they do, but oftentimes they don't. And sometimes, you know, that can be as extreme as 50% of the time. You know, there's some famous quotes out there from some industry leaders who have stated those things. And, you know, I see that data from time to time. So, you know, we recognize that challenge and we've invested a lot in sort of helping our clients overcome the challenge. And interestingly, at its core, it's really a data and analytics problem, which is, I think, what gives me license to you know, to talk about it in this particular discussion. And so if you think about it, data is really behind every decision, whether it's a video ad or a display ad or a CTV type impression, data is really behind every decision that an advertiser is making around whether to serve an impression to that particular individual or not. And in a digital environment, the way that plays out is, you know, information on devices and is collected around, you know, interests and behaviors. And when an individual or a device sort of lands on a website where there's an opportunity to serve an impression, that information is passed along and the advertiser is given an opportunity to make a decision on whether they want to bid on the opportunity or not. And, you know, for us, that data is usually pretty accurate when it comes to pretty straightforward behaviors like past purchases and even demographics and and socio-demographics. Where it tends to fall apart, though, is an area where advertisers spend a lot of dollars, and that is around attitudes and tensions and, and sentiments and sort of softer type targeting requirements. That's where you start to see a a lot of problems. And so, for example, you know, every organization at one point or another has done a customer segmentation study where they build customer segments and then go ahead and try to activate those segments in programmatic media and other media channels. And what you find is that that jump sort of from audience definition to activation is usually a pretty big leap of faith. Because the signals that define the segment aren't usually available in the programmatic ecosystem. And so you find a lot of effort around trying to find proxies. And and so that's sort of the problem we're working on. You can make the same case for, you know, targeting, you know, people who might be likely adopters of a new product or conquesting, you know, customers of your competitors who are not necessarily satisfied, you know, all of those sorts of requirements around attitudes are a huge opportunity. And so, you know, we've sort of focused there on really investing on solutions that help build a better crosswalk between who the advertiser wants to reach and ultimately who we serve the advertising to 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 reach that goal. Yeah. So I guess when I think about it, I think about there's things that you can target that are very straightforward, age, gender, ethnicity, and those are largely available. But what you're referring to is 
going in the psyche of the consumer, understanding their attitude towards specific topics, brands, issues that can even refine the targeting. And so what we're trying to do is sort of address the precision issue with some of that data that is available. And, you know, we've developed a, you know, a technique for, you know, for addressing that limitation that, you know, we've had quite a bit of success with over the last couple of years. Um, So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So if you think about just going back to how programmatic media works, you know, as I mentioned, it's all about understanding who you're looking at and what their attitudes and ultimately what their behaviors are. And the interesting thing about a lot of the data solutions out there, particularly as it relates to the attitudes we were talking about, is that there's no validation, right? So, you know, if Andy goes to ESPN.com, for example, he's probably a sports enthusiast, you know, or if Andy goes to, you know, a certain news publication or, or news outlet, you know, he must have a certain political disposition. And, and what's interesting about those judgments is that they're often right, but they're not always right. And what we're doing is sort of playing in that opportunity area to, to improve the precision. And the way that we do that is we start with the voice of the customer. Uh, you know, we build from the ground up using survey research. And so what we do, like any good researcher, is we grab a sample, you know, of individuals, we qualify them into a an audience, say we're going after sports enthusiasts, we evaluate whether a group of individuals is a sports enthusiast or not. Some will say yes, some will say no. What we then do is we grab their past 60-day digital behaviors from our DMP, which tells us all of the things that in an anonymous and privacy compliant way, all of the things that these individuals have done over the past 60 days And we use the combination of those two pieces of information, the survey response, which qualifies them into the audience, and the digital behaviors to build a predictive model that provides us direction on where we'll be most effective at targeting people that meet that audience's requirements. And then we scale that and we activate on it. Teams are in flux, but you still have to get your research in field. Partnership with Paradigm Sample means you get our expert focus on every detail of your project. We have access to over 1 million consumers and many business professionals who are eager to voice their opinions and participate in traditional and non-traditional online studies, whether it comes to sampling, programming and hosting services or consultation. We are agile and quick to meet your needs. Visit ParadigmSample.com today. When you say where, are you specifically saying digitally, where do I find these people? It's Sometimes it's where, but it's also when I see an individual on a website and they represent an opportunity to start advertising to, do they fit the characteristics historically of someone that I know would be in this audience I'm trying to target? So it's not always contextual. Sometimes it can be, but it can also literally be, you know, I know their history. Have they exhibited the kinds of things in their past? that give me confidence that they're in my audience. Got it. So when you're doing the survey research, sorry, I'm digging down a little bit further. You segment the sample and you'll have people that kind of fit your target segment, ideally. And you'll have another segment of people that look like them, but you're not 100% sure if they mirror the other segment. Is that fair or? 
Actually, what I'll have is I'll have a group of people that I know are in my segment. Yeah. And then I'll have another group of people that are not, I know are not in my segment. And then what I, what the predictive model is doing is it's looking at the digital behaviors of the two groups. Got it. And identifying the, the greatest discriminators. And those become the predictors that we then go look for at scale. Got it. Okay. Thank you. So give us a real life example of how you've applied this model and some of the, some of the results. Sure. I can't you know, reveal client of names, course. but I'll give you an example of a, a project that we just finished, actually. So it was a financial services firm that had built a, you know, a customer segmentation last year, consisted of five segments and had campaigns in place designed to reach two of those segments. In order to reach those segments, what they'd been doing is leveraging other third-party data sources that are available in the marketplace to find proxies for how to reach those individuals programmatically. So say, for example, you know, one segment was largely male or skewed male. They would look for you know, signals for male people in the marketplace. And so what we did was you know, we came in and early on, it became very apparent you know, as we were dialoguing with them that they were struggling to reach these two segments. And so what ended up happening is we built audiences out of those two segments in the manner that I just described. You know, we conducted a survey, qualified people into the two segments, built a predictive model that married, you know, their digital behaviors with the knowledge that they were in the segment. And then we scaled that and activated on it. And, you know, when we looked back at the results, what was interesting was that we structured it in a way that we were able to compare it to historical targeting practices. And so we were able to see the, you know, comparatively how we did. And sure enough, we reached, you know, more of their segments than the legacy targeting tactic had been doing. That's what I was going to ask you. What is the measure of success here? And I think you just answered it because you would look at the legacy model compared to the new model to see how many more people you reached in their particular target segment. Yeah. You know, there's usually a range of success criteria, but to me, the most important one is, you know, did I reach who I anticipated I wanted to reach. Another set of success criteria is did, you know, did the campaign ultimately have the effect that I expected it to? And, you know, while effective reach can certainly influence the second set of outcomes, there are other factors that typically are at play when it comes to the second set of outcomes, like the creative and the value proposition and other things. So the best measure is, did I get to the person I wanted to get to? Right. What do you think the future of ad measurement looks like? I think it's really exciting. And here's the reason. Yeah, I was reading the other day about sort of the growth in digital advertising. And it's, you know, according to the sources I was reading, it's, you know, it's growing around 15% per year. And, you know, pretty quickly here, we're going to be at the point where largely everything is connected. You know, all advertising or all consumers are going to be connected. And therefore, all advertising delivery is going to be digital and connected in some way, shape or form. And so, from a data standpoint, that's the holy grail. You know, to have connected data sets across the entire consumer journey is something that, you know, we've really never had before. And so I think it's already revolutionizing measurement and it will continue to. And so to me that, you know, we're getting to the point where I think better than ever before, we'll have a really clear understanding for, you know, the ROI that advertising is providing back to advertisers and their agencies, which is you know, been a really hard thing to get to uh, for many years, as you probably know. And do you think that we will continue to see even more personalization of advertising to consumers based on all this connected data? I mean, you keep hearing about these ads that are placed at the right time and at the right place, given your history of whatever, Alexa shopping or, you know, digital behavior. What's your perspective on that? So I'm sure you've 
probably read that, you know, there's a, a lot of focus right now on privacy and compliance and the inevitable move to a cookie-less world. So I think, you know, that question needs remains to be answered. I think we've completely answered it yet, but, you know, we are all actively, including us here at Engine, are all actively working to address the imminent demise of cookies and sustain some level of personalization. But I think that personalization will look different by necessity. I don't think personalization will go away, but I think it will look different. Any ideas on what that would look like? Yeah. I mean, I think it's been announced actually in the last couple of days that, you know, we've moved to IP-based targeting and then we've just rolled out a, a new device graph. And so that's one potential direction that things will go. And we're, you know, we're pretty excited about the potential there. You know, of course, they're, you know, the Facebooks and the Googles of the world are, you know, they've created, you know, really robust walled gardens that, you know, continue to provide for personalized targeting. And I have no reason to believe that I won't continue. So, you know, I think there's a lot of other experimentation and sort of innovation going on in the marketplace around publisher networks and collaborations between publishers who have identification, PII, and can leverage that in a privacy compliant way for targeting. So I think the question's unanswered, but we're starting to see, you know, some sense of where things are going to go. Yeah, that makes sense. And obviously, you know, the privacy piece is critically important for us to continue to have credibility in the space, not just for advertising, but for a research perspective. So we walk a fine line there. It is. Absolutely. It's interesting. I, you know, oftentimes when we talk about privacy, you know, we obviously talk not only about the importance of protecting identity, but, you know, when you talk about personalization, there's also a benefit to the consumer that I think often isn't talked about. And that is that people don't want to see ads that aren't relevant to them. And so, you know, personalization, while it may seem scary on some level, on another level, it I think it provides value to the consumer that sometimes isn't appreciated. Yeah, I completely agree. And we've had this, many forums have had that debate, right? Are you creating more efficiency, more relevance for the consumer? Yeah. Or just does it feel really creepy that, you know, the big brother has too many details on you? Right. Yeah, it's a fine balance. And I think actually it's interesting. I don't know if you've noticed any of this or read anything about this, but I do believe that the younger generation has more tolerance for wanting a more seamless, and I'm not saying this is research-based, but I've read in a couple of articles, so I want to preface there, that they tolerate some of the big brother feeling or oversight as a trade-off to having more efficient ad targeting. The value exchange. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. And maybe because they don't really understand the impact, I have no idea. But it seems like even just talking to, you know, small cohort of people, they're like, it's almost like they've accepted it. It's like, yeah, we know everybody's listening and watching. And besides the fact, we post and, and share everything anyway. Right. Yeah. I mean, exactly. And, you know, and I mean, that, that, I think that's a perfect example of the value exchange that the Wall Gardens provide. But yeah, I mean, I would concur. I've seen similar write-ups and in, in data to support that. I think it's a little bifurcated. I do think there's a segment of the market that's very concerned. And, you know, it's important that we have the right protocols in place to, you know, to protect people and their wishes and, and desires. And that's what we're really focused on here. And, and I know others in the industry are as well. I completely agree. Andy, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. I loved it. Thank you. This was great. And uh, I look forward to talking to you soon. Yeah, you come back and check in soon. I will. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Data Gurus Podcast. This episode has ended, but your exploration doesn't have to. 
Head over to www.datagurusepodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. That's www.datagurusepodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.